minus 15. Respect all, fear none. Into the upper deck. Intensity is not a perfume. Hello, Utah Street! Five, four, three, two, one. Welcome in to the Mass and All Access podcast, everybody. Our first podcast in a while. Thank you so much for making us a part of your Tuesday afternoon. We are just four days away from Christmas and a little over a week away from the new year, which is a very exciting time of year. Sorry about that long hiatus without a couple of episodes. It's been a couple of weeks. Uh, Amy and I have both had some uh, scheduling conflicts and uh, personal things going around on the side. So we appreciate you guys' patience in terms of putting up a new episode. For those of you who don't know, a um, major reason why we have not done an episode in a long time has been because I lost my grandfather a couple weeks ago as I bring in my co-host Amy Jennings, who joins me via Zoom. You'll also notice that we're doing our podcast from the safety of our own home uh, with numbers spiking up throughout the D.C. area. We thought it'd be safer for everyone just to do it from home, so we hope you're staying safe as well. But yes, um, yeah, it's been a couple of weeks since we've done a podcast because uh, I did lose my grandfather a couple of weeks. It's been a, a, cuff, a tough couple of weeks, and I wanted to thank everyone, especially Amy, uh, our coworker Brendan and Paul Mancano um, for all their support and all you fans and readers out there who commented, messaged me on Twitter, all loving, supporting messages. I really, really appreciate it. I heard, heard a lot of nice things coming from people. Um, so I really appreciate everyone reaching out. We've got a, a great community here at Masson and with the Nationals. So I really appreciate everyone's support through a very difficult time. But we are back, Amy. It's good to see you. It's been almost, what, it feels like a month, but it's probably been only like two weeks since we've actually seen each other back in studio. How's it been? I know. It's been going okay. It's good to see you, Bobby. And of course, again, I'm sorry about your grandfather. Um, For all of you who didn't read Bobby's tribute, he wrote a beautiful tribute um, to and about his grandfather. It's on MassInSports.com. It's a really great read, and I think it's a good reminder of, you know, The reason so many of us like sports and where our baseball fandom comes from, the teams you like or particularly don't like because maybe your family members like them come from our grandparents and oftentimes our grandfather. I know um, most of mine does. And that's kind of, you know, a good reminder of that. Um, So I'm sure he's with you always. And I'm sorry about that, Bobby. uh, But it's good to be back here and good to be back talking about baseball, even during a lockdown. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. I appreciate the kind of words. And, uh, you know, Amy, you and Brendan were kind enough to even come to the funeral. So I really appreciate that. That was very nice of you guys. You guys definitely did not have to make the trip down for that. But I really appreciate it. And yeah, I mean, that's the best thing about sports, right? I think I mentioned in in the article. I mean, some of the best one of the best things about sports is how fandoms get passed down from generation to generation. Um, it's an everlasting fandom. You know, my grandfather grew up a, a Yankees fan, and that's why I'm partially a Yankees fan. I know I'm sorry, but yeah, I you know I grew up watching Yankees games with him um, and talking about the Yankees while and the Orioles um, when I was a little little kid. And he was very supportive, and, and he rooted for the Nationals for our sake. Um, he was very proud when the Nationals won the World Series, and I got to cover it. We got to cover it down in Houston, so. Um, yeah, I mean, it was, it's more just a loving support group around, around baseball and around sports. I think that's what sports bring family members. And it's, it's a good time to remember that, especially around the holidays and especially now with COVID coming back or I guess never really left, but kind of shutting down these other <laughs> leagues across the country. Um, you know, I mean, baseball of course is in a lockdown and not in season, so they're not really affected by all this right now, but it is tough to see, 
um, all these leads having being affected by these rising cases and, and, and uh, positive tests. Uh, so we hope they're all doing well. And, uh, you know, you never know what you got until it's gone. We don't want to take this for granted. You and Amy and I definitely don't take this job for granted. We're happy to, to be back on the airwaves talking about baseball and the Nationals. And like I said, I mean, again, we've been away for a couple of weeks now, so we have a lot to get to. We have some housekeeping things to get to. Later on, we're going to discuss kind of our wish list for the Nationals for the 2022 season, holiday edition of the Mass and All Access podcast, uh, things that we want to see in the new season, things that the Nationals should be hoping for, should be looking for um, as they start a new season, um, hopefully come February, but definitely by the springtime um, for this new team that has a new direction during a rebuild. So it's a lot going on right now. But first, like I said, some housekeeping things. Let's start with um, some roster kind of ish moves Amy it's it doesn't affect the big league club but right before I guess actually a couple days after the official lockdown the Nationals added Michael Franco and D Strange Gordon two familiar faces from their National League East days to minor league contracts adding some infield depth uh, to the the Nats minor league system adding some veteran presence to the clubhouse should they make the team what were your react what was your reaction to uh, the Nats signing these two vets I mean, I think kind of with the, the situation that the infield's in right now, adding as, as many guys into the mix going into spring training is never a bad thing. Uh, so I think these were two good moves. Of course, they were minor league deals, which is why they could do it during the shutdown. Um, and they're kind of both guys that have been struggling a little bit, but I've had glimpses of promise um, in their major league careers. And I think the Nationals are hopefully that they can get that out of them going into spring training to see what they have. And I think these are both guys that could be competing for a spot on this roster uh, uh, heading into opening day. Yeah, I think um, I, I agree. And it's an interesting Addition, and I think it's kind of interesting because I think they both parties are benefited from this signing, right? I mean, if you look at the Nationals, we've talked a lot, Amy, about how the Nationals don't have um, uh, depth in the infield in the minor league system. We've always said there's no one really knocking on the door uh, now that Luis Garcia and Carter Keboom have graduated as to my major leaguers, um, you know, looking at guys coming up and trying to take full-time spots from the major league club. So there's no harm in bringing in some veteran presence. If anything, they can help teach Luis and Carter a few things in the in the infield. Um, and, and Mike Rizzo has always preached competition. He loves adding competition to spring training. He thinks that it brings the best out of everybody. He thinks um, that it really elevates the competition level in his team, and that's how they've been able to put forth a competitive team year in and year out under his uh, GM tenure. So... Uh, I think that the Nationals can benefit. And, you know, look, if Carter and Luis aren't ready for it, then you've got guys who we know can do it. I mean, like you said, they're not, you know, perennial all-stars, but they are veteran major leaguers. They have long careers. Uh, the Nationals have a good idea of what their track records are, especially with their times uh, in the National League East. Uh, Franco just played over 100 games with the Orioles this past season uh, up the infield. So, you know, and with with a team that's not looking to chase October this season. Uh, it makes a lot of sense for them to bring in these veteran guys, add competition, add, put a spark underneath the butts of Carter Keeble and Luis Garcia. You know, you know, Maybe this elevates their game in spring training and they can finally get a grip of their positions that the Nationals are hoping they can this season. And then on the flip side, uh, for D. Gordon Strange, or Str- D. Strange Gordon and uh, Michael Franco, you know, these are guys that are probably on the tail ends of their careers. They're, uh, I think, all along with Cesar Hernandez, too, who was actually signed to the Major League roster uh, uh, during our last podcast. Um, 
But, you know, they're on the tail ends of their careers. They're looking for a place to come and compete and, and win and, and play. And, and you look at the Nationals, it's a good situation for players like that because there are a lot of young guys. There's not a whole lot of expectations here. You know, they're not looking to chase a World Series. Ideally, maybe even for both parties, these guys come in, they play well the first half, they possibly become trade chips at the deadline, they go to comp- uh, to someone who's looking to compete and, and, and uh, contend for a title, and they and they get shipped off in July. So it sounds to me, it looks like it can benefit both parties. There's not a lot of pressure on the players coming in, and but they will add pressure to the guys that are already here, especially the young guys. Yeah, that's exactly it. I mean, just the veteran presence in and of that self, the possibility of being able to deal them at the deadline. And then, of course, they're able to fill those holes that you have in the infield or potentially have in the infield if Luis Garcia doesn't rise to the occasion. And, of course, if Carter Keeboom doesn't rise to the occasion. Strange Gordon, of course, has had some really good years. Two-time All-Star won that batting title over Bryce Harper. Back in 2015, I'm sure uh, some national fans remember that. And then Michael Franco, you know, he struggled this past year with the Orioles. But in 2021, he had a pretty good season uh, with the Royals. He hit 278, but had an OPS plus of 108. And the defense has been up and down, just like his his appearances at the plate. But at least it gives them some options. It gives them a veteran presence. And who knows? They might have a good first half, and it gives the Nationals the ability to deal them at the deadline. So it's kind of the perfect situation, just like you said, for both parties um, heading in into spring training and competing for an opening day spot. And if anything, it lights a fire um, under the butts, especially under the butt of Carter Kibu. <laughs> yeah, uh, and I, I think you and I agree that we – we are a, higher, a little higher on Luis Garcia as of right now in terms of what his production will be this year. Uh, Carter Keboom has, of course, shown flashes of potential, but they've been very too far and few in between. Um, so it's it's hard to see him. You know, I mean, if he takes a big step, we've said this like the past two years, but if he takes a big step, great. You know, you got a corner infielder, you got a third baseman, but if not, now you have someone uh, behind him who can fill the job along with Alcides Escobar and Cesar Hernandez, who are on the major league roster. We should also point out, too, because I don't think this was made clear in our last podcast, that, uh, of course, these two additions are minor league deals um, with, of course, um, invitations to spring training once that gets underway. Major league teams cannot sign players to their 40-man roster during the lockout. Um, and you can all, that also expands to players who ended the 2021 regular season on a 40-man roster. So teams that waived or non-tendered guys uh, before the lockout, those players cannot be added either um, to a minor league deal or major league deal, which is, which is a really weird twist because they're still technically protected by the old CBA. Um, so only minor league transactions and guys who finish the season as free agents or not on active 40-man rosters can be added during the lockout. So that's just something to keep in mind as as fans, I'm sure, on Facebook uh, or YouTube are commenting along as we're live right now uh, about how the Nash to make more additions. It is a little trickier during the lockout that uh, you can't really add everyone that you would like, even free agents that are out there. Um, so there's some um, some technicalities there in terms of what teams can and cannot do during this time period. Hopefully that gets resolved soon, though. So hopefully by January, definitely by February, we'll have some uh, a new CBA and then everything will kind of the floodgates will just open. Um, but sticking with the NL East, because we talked about former guys and from the NL East going to the Nationals. Let's talk about another National League East team that make a big splash late last week. Uh, I think it was Saturday that it was announced 
Um, and then today was made official with an introductory press conference. And Mets have their new manager in Buck Showalter. Of course, fans will remember him from his nine years in Baltimore. Um, and he had a winning record against the Nationals in the Battle of the Beltways over his tenure with the Orioles. Um, I, I really like this hire for the Mets. I think the National League East and, and all of baseball needs to watch out because I think this takes the Mets to a new level. What say you, Amy? Yeah, I mean, this is two off-seasons in a row where, like, hey, uh, the Mets are adding some talent. You better watch out. Last year, of course, it, it was on, on the field, and this time with this managerial move, um, I, I think it, the NLEs just got a whole lot tougher. If it wasn't Max Scherzer uh, heading heading to the Mets, uh, this will definitely seal the deal uh, for Nationals fans. They should be a little bit worried. Um, but I really like this hire. I've always been big Buck Showalter fan um, and I think they're getting some experienced guys in there who want to win like Max Scherzer and I think having an experienced manager because they really haven't had one in the last half decade uh, will be really good for this team you know it's sometimes those older hard-nosed experienced managers like Buck Showalter don't do really well with maybe young exceptionally young teams uh, but this team is getting guys like Max Scherzer who have been around the block and I think will work really well with a manager like Buckshaw Walter. Yeah, it's interesting you say that because I, from his time with the Orioles, I, mean, I interacted with Buck a lot, got to hear a lot of what he had to say um, about the game of baseball and interviews, press conferences, stuff like that. I mean, and, and I don't, for me personally, I obviously have not been around as much as, you know, other reporters and other guys around the league, but Buckshaw Walter is one of the brightest minds I've seen in baseball. I mean, and you talk about, uh, re- being uh, relatable to the young players, that was like a, a, a cause of concern when the White Sox hired Tony LaRusso last year, remember? And turned out pretty oh, well. Yeah. They got their butts kicked in, in the playoffs, but they made the playoffs with a really talented young team. Uh, Buck, I, I, he, he inherited a very young Orioles team when he took over as manager in 2011. Um, and they had some really good years. They made the playoffs in 12, 14, and uh, 16 uh, winning a division title in 14, making the ALCS. And you look at guys that were on that roster, specifically Manny Machado. Manny Machado attributes a lot of his career and his success to Buck Showalter. So um, I, I think he's going to be really helpful with young players. I think he's going to be respected by the older guys like Max Scherzer. Uh, you know, there are reports that Max was, uh, you know, campaigning for him in the within the Mets organization to be the next manager. He just has respect around the league, uh, both old and young players. And I, I again, I, like you said, I, this is a dangerous hire for the National League East and the National League and, and all of baseball because the talent that Steve Cohen is bringing in, the money he's spending, now he actually has one of the best game managers, I think, in the entire sport. Um, this is going to be a dangerous team. I mean, the Buck is going to put them, he's one, going to bring a whole new culture to the team, right? I mean, that's something that the Mets organization needs desperately with all the fiascos off the field that they've had. Mm-hmm. Um and, and issues off the field. But two, I mean, like I said, he's one of the best game managers. He knows how to manage a, a bullpen, 2016 AL wildcard game aside with Zach Britton. Um, and, and I think that he's going to put this team in really good position to win a lot of games and, and be successful in the postseason. Um, so Buck's chasing his first uh, ring. Uh, of course, Max Scherzer chasing another. You know, they've got Jacob deGrom. They've got Pete Alonzo. They've got a lot of young talent on that roster. So I think this is a really great hire by Steve Cohen and the rest of the National League East should be trembling in their boots because the Mets look like finally a force to be reckoned with. We always say, Amy, that we feel like the Mets are going to Mets and this might be the year 
aside from catastrophic injuries out of their control, that they finally make it back to the playoffs and do some damage in October. Right. Maybe they just need the right captain uh, to kind of guide that ship. And I think it's interesting how you you mentioned the respect coming from the young guys and the old guys because there's been criticism with Buck Walter about how he's not as willing to adapt with the analytics and, and, and such. But then there's this other side where people are saying, well, no, actually, if you get to know him, he kind of is a numbers guy. It's just him coming around to it. It's not that he's unwilling to learn. It's just kind of a learning curve. And it's not that he's uninterested and he will come to you and he will bother you for those numbers. Um, so it's kind of cool to see, see that mix of people on both sides of that and how that will come around um, and kind of equate to him getting the respect from the young guys and the old guys. And maybe he is the perfect blend uh, to kind of put that together, to have the Max Scherzers, but to also have the young talent on that team uh, to put together a winning season. Yeah, I, I, I remember in Baltimore, it was reported all the time, he, after every game, gets, and before every mm-hmm. game, just stacks and stacks of information of numbers. I think he just interprets it and utilizes it different than we've seen. I, I like to kind of... Think about like Dusty Baker with his time here uh, with the Nationals, maybe even now right with now with the Astros. I mean, a lot of his criticism was that he doesn't use analytics enough. Well, no, he got those numbers. It's just a matter of how you use those numbers. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how he approaches that for sure. I do think that um, you know it's not a, it's not going to be a lack of having that information. I I do think that Buck is one of those managers that trusts his gut sometimes more than his head you know he loves the eye test he talked about all the time when he was with the Orioles Mm -hmm. you know he could just tell when a pitcher needs to come out or a player's not in it or he's not seeing you know a batter's not seeing the ball right and needs a timeout or something so he has all this information that he could possibly get you know as as being the manager of a major league team he just utilizes it in a different way and, and trusts his gut a lot more than we see some of these younger managers who are strictly by the numbers yeah, exactly. And it's a different way of managing. And there's definitely success in both. We've kind of seen it uh, on both ends of the spectrum. Uh, but I think he's a brilliant baseball mind. And yeah. this is a really good hire for the Mets. I agree. I agree. All right. One more uh, housekeeping piece of business. Because uh, we missed it and didn't, didn't get to talk about it. We typed up the Rule 5 draft a bunch uh, during this uh first couple months of the offseason there was no major league portion of the rule five draft because of the uh, uh lockout but the, there was a triple a version uh they did hold which is basically the second round of of the draft um uh triple a and, and the nationals took four guys and it's it's surprising because again we talked about this before amy we don't see the nationals utilize this um uh, service whatever you know whatever you want to call it often and yeah. and especially in the major league phase, but definitely not in the minor league phase and the triple a rule five draft. They took four players, Andrew young from the diamondbacks, a second baseman with some uh, big league experience. And then three right-handed relievers, Curtis Taylor from the blue Jays, Matt Brill from the diamondbacks and Dakota Clemmer from the guardians. And they did not lose any players in this draft, which isn't that shocking because they didn't have too many uh, eligible players or did they have a, a really high-ranking prospects uh, at Rochester this year. But they take four players, kind of surprising, but honestly not that surprising either because this is what you do when you rebuild. Yeah, exactly. This was a really good way to bring in some talent and bring in some talent for cheap. And I think that's why we saw the Nationals use this service 
um, like they have in, in years past. I think the most notable name out of this list is Andrew Young because he spent time in the big leagues for parts of two thousand two seasons, 2020 and 2021. Um, and then, of course, they're getting three relievers, and you can never have enough relievers, uh, especially in this Nationals bullpen. So I think it's possible that you could see any of these guys or all of these guys on the major league roster in 2022. Yeah, I can totally see it being a, a scenario um, where, like, late June, mid-July, you're going to hear, like, Curtis Taylor come out of the bullpen, and mm-hmm. everyone's going to be like, who is that? And it's like, oh, yeah, they got him in the Rule 5 draft, the AAA face. Um, but, yeah, I agree. I think Andrew Young, of course, the only one with major league experience. The biggest name to keep an eye on, again, adding to that um, uh, minor league infield depth. Um, and then, you know, possibly you see an injury go down or something like that, or he has a really good start to this AAA season, he might come up and provide some more competition to those guys in the infield. But, yeah, four players, like you said, it's just adds depth. It adds extra arms. It adds guys who, you know, to your to your farm system, what you're trying to basically rebuild along with the Major League roster. So good for the Nationals to utilize that service um, and, and bring in some new, new faces, young talent, and see what you can get. It, it really doesn't hurt, especially since they didn't lose anybody. It can't hurt to try. I mean, the worst-case scenario, you have to give them back to their original teams, and that hardly ever happens in the, in, the, in the AAA phase of the draft. So those guys will start their seasons out in Rochester. All right, let's get to the main event of this podcast. Um, you know, we don't want to hold people for too long. We thank everyone for tuning in. We know we're so close to the holiday break, and hopefully you're taking a long, extra long lunch and joining us. But we are going to make our wish lists for the 2022 season. This is a very broad topic. Amy, you could have gone any way you wanted it. What It could have been continuing the offseason. We're going to completely skip the uh, we wish for a new CBA because that's a given. Um, <laughs> we're going we're gonna to wish that the Nationals trade for Mike Trout. That's not happening. We're going to give some concrete answers um, for that we want to see from the Nationals in the next season or leading up to next season, postseason, whatever you want it to be, what would you like to see from the Nationals in 2022? All right, well, when I was making this wish list, we did this last year during the holidays, and I went back to that list, and I was like, wow, this is kind of a whole lot like what my wish wish list looked like last year. Oh, boy. Um, But to start it, I think we have to start with a healthy Strasburg and a better Corbin. Um, and I feel like I said the same thing last off season. Um, and that's because we've only seen Steven Strasburg pitch in seven games in the last two years. And of course, you know how Patrick Corbin's year went. Um, I think having these two guys back and healthy and pitching well is going to be key for the nationals in this rebuild, because they already have a lot of young pitchers coming up that are probably going to fill out this rotation. A lot of guys just testing the waters for the first time in Josiah Gray. Um, And so having these two guys that you have hundreds of thousands of dollars tied up in for several years is key. And you want to see them start to produce. Um, And that starts with Steven Strasburg finally getting healthy and Patrick Corbin finally finding a way to bounce back. I think that's going to be key for the Nationals. And it's at the top of my wish list uh, for 2022. Yeah, I mean, it's no secret. I don't think this team has any realistic shot of winning a whole bunch of games this year if Steven Strasburg and Patrick Corbin aren't pitching close to 30 games a season, starting 30 games a season, and especially in Corbin's case, pitching in his 2019 version, not his 2020 or 2021 version, which we know were catastrophic. And and Strasburg, it might just be more so just as as long as he gets to around 30 starts, that's got to be a good season for him because when he's on the mound, he's he's 
Steven Strasburg. He's really good. He's one of the best pitchers in the league. He just hasn't been on the mound that much since the World Series. So if he can get back on the mound, you know, hopefully show that the back end of this seven-year deal that he signed after the World Series uh, will be worth it. That would be a good sign for David Martinez and Mike Rizzo and Nationals fans, but that's just the key. Can he get on the mound? Can he get over all of these ailments and and, and have a full season? He's going to land on the injured list at some point. You know that. Um, he did that back in 2019, but still had a really good season. Can he get between 25 and 30 starts? Um, I think that would be a good sign for the Nationals. And Corbin, really no other place to go but up. Uh, he's had really bad 2020 and 2021 season. So if he can be even the middle ground between 2021 and 19, what you know, it, that, that will do, right? I mean, that's at least better than what we saw the last two seasons. If you can do a shade more towards what he did in 2019, that's great. Yeah. Um, but you can't set your uh, your expectations too high for him just because he hasn't, he's barely shown any flashes. He had like two, maybe two really good mm-hmm. starts this past year. Other than that, it seemed like it was always a struggle for him. Yeah, exactly. And there's a reason they signed Steven Strasburg to a seven-year deal. It's because they want him to be around a while, and they expect him to still be here and and making his start in the rotation when they're competitive again. Um, And that's going to be really important. And plus, having these two guys back and healthy and pitching regularly is important to the development of these young catchers and Caper Ruiz and Riley Adams. I mean, there's – they're getting to catch Steven Strasburg um, and that's really important in their growth. And hopefully we'll get to see that in their development in 2022. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, it's kind of, you know, double-edged sword right there. You get Strasburg and, and Corbin back and you also help your catchers kind of grow and learn how to be big league catchers. And Josiah Gray picks off a couple some information from one of those guys uh, along the way too. So they can only really help as long as they're around and pitching well. They Again, I don't think this team goes very far without those two guys pitching to their performance that we expect them here in DC. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's something to look out for this year. That's a good wish to start off with. I'm going to start off with going back down to the minor league system. Most of mine, I think were minor league um, based because I mean, Face it, I mean, it's it's a different era for the Nationals, right? We're right. in a rebuild right now. Expectations, goals are different than they have been in the past. I mean, we can have we have set realistic expectations for this team and and Mike Rizzo and Dave Martinez. I mean, Davey's going to want to go out and win every game. We know that. Mike is want, wants to win every game. We know that. But there are long term goals to be a, a, a you know start to be attained this year and this is the first full year of the rebuild so this is the first big step toward those long-term goals so for me my first one is that i wish that the farm system jumps up in some rankings the whole farm system not just kate cavalli brady house jackson rutledge the whole system needs to take uh, a step forward that comes through the international signing period that comes through the draft they're the number five overall pick uh this year that comes through uh, the trade deadline, um, um, trading for more prospects. And that also comes from developing the guys that are already here. You know, you hope Kate Cavalli graduates at some point this year and becomes a really good pitcher for the Nationals. If not this year, then definitely next year. Uh, you hope Jackson Rutledge breaks through at some point. You hope Brady House continues to be one of the top prospects in baseball. Um, right now, they ended the season as the 20th ranked um, uh, farm system per MLB pipeline, which 
we have noted is an improvement because they were dead last entering the season. So that's a good thing. Um, and with Josiah Gray and KB Ruiz helped a lot with that, but they have since graduated uh, ending the season with the major league club. So they have to continue to build the ways like I laid out. And, you know, I would set a realistic goal of, can you crack the top 15 by season's end or the midseason rankings, whatever they come out with the new rankings uh, throughout the course of the season. Could you crack the, crack the top 15, get closer to 10? Maybe I, I don't think crack, crack the top 10 is a, Unrealistic. I think it's that'd be really hard to do to jump ten more spots when there are so many good uh, farm systems up there. But top fifteen should be a, a realistic goal for Mike Rizzo, even though he doesn't care about rankings. But it should be a realistic goal for this team in this farm system uh, in twenty twenty two. Yeah, I mean, and all those are really good ways to improve your farm system. I mean, they were ranked last in the bigs and now at twenty, so an improvement for sure. And being fifteen by the end of the season, I think is kind of a realistic goal. Um, so I'll kind of go to the next things on my wish list that go along with that with improving the farm system. And one of those for me is that uh, they're able to have a good trade deadline. Um, and by doing that, guys like Bell or maybe some of these guys that signed to minor league deals uh, have good first halves and are able to be dealt at the trade deadline. That's a really good way to improve your farm system quick and get lots of guys uh, quick um, in order to jump those rankings. That's super important as they're rebuilding right now. And the best way to do that is for guys to have good first half so that they can deal them um, at the deadline. We kind of saw it last year. Well, we did see it, not kind of, we did see it last year. They were able to get a whole lot of prospects back, which is how they improve their ranking in the farm system. So if they can do that, uh, that's going to be really key. Uh, as they rebuild their farm system that was ranked last in the bigs just a year ago. Um, and the other way to do that is, of course, to hit on that number five pick. They have a high draft pick. That's the one good thing about losing is that you do get that higher draft pick. So to pick in the top 10 um, and hitting on that pick, they've hit on their top picks before, of course, Steven Strasburg, Anthony Rendon. They have a good history of drafting high in the first round. Um, so that's going to be another key this year on my wish list. Um, deadline and draft to improve that farm system. Yeah, I, I had those two as well. Um, in, in terms of the draft pick, I mean, you, you mentioned the guys that they've drafted in the past. You can look even look back at last year, Brady House. He seems to be a great pick already. We talked about how he was kind of a steal um, at the end of, uh, of last year's draft, falling all the way to them at 11 um, outside of the top 10. And now you're picking top five. And, of course, the last time that we, they picked top five, they got Anthony Rendon at number six overall. You know, you look back to the two years prior to that, they got Strasburg and Harper. Um, so you can't draft for need in baseball. Uh, you know, there's way too much time between drafting a player and their major league debut. But, you know, you can take best player available and look at your board. And, and Mike Rizzo, trust your scouts. Trust the players that uh, you're, you're, you're interviewing and, and, and take the best player available at number five. Um, that's what they did with Brady House, and they got a steal. You don't have to worry about getting a steal. I don't think at number five you should be able to get a really good player at five since you're drafting so high. You won't have to worry about someone falling to your lap. But if you're lucky and, you know, someone who's supposed to go in the top three does fall to your lap, good for you. Uh, but, yeah, I think you're, the top the draft pick one for me is one I had that was really high. Um, and I think it's something that we'll see. It, it's going to be very interesting to see how they approach that, but it's a, definitely a good way for this team to continue to add minor league depth 
we talked about how their past drafts have not done very well uh, outside of Cade Cavalli and judges jury still out on Jackson Rutledge, but some of their first round picks have not gone too well in the past. Uh, but Brady House was a first step into being a really good uh, a first round pick, and you got to land on number five again. And then you mentioned the the trade deadline. Josh Bell is obviously going to be the key guy there, but one of the smaller ones that I had put down was. Um, Victor Robles and having a bounce back year and 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 be, being um, offensively productive, I I think uh, at the very least could he possibly become some sort of trade chip? I don't see him getting traded mid season. I don't know what value he would bring to a team unless he just explodes on the scene, which I don't see happening. Um, but could he at very least become an asset for this team by being a trade chip at some point? Don't know what you would get for him, but. You know, if he can't get it going and you don't think he's going to be the future and you think Lane Thomas is, let's see what they can get for him. And that deadline is going to be a very interesting one as well. And like you mentioned, they went from 10 to 20 in late July because of the trade deadline. Could they make another big leap in the farm system rankings at this trade deadline? Um, All right, go ahead. I was just going to say, I think that's a really good point because Victor Robles, we've been like, they're not going to give up on him yet. They're not going to give up on him yet. But if he has any type of first half this year and can improve his his stock at all, uh, that's definitely a possibility. Yep. All right. And um, well, I'm going to stick with the minor leagues um, a little bit, of some more, you know, talking about the farm system, this guy might not be a part of this end of season farm system rankings because he might crack the major league roster at some point this season. I want, I'm wishing for a successful debut for Cade Cavalli this year. Now hear me out. I, I, what does that mean? I'm not saying that he needs to go and strike out 14 like Steven Strasburg did against the pirates back in 2010. I'm not saying he needs to do that. He just needs to go out and for me show that, you know, he's ready for this and they called him up at the right time, you know, and when you call him up, have him make a couple starts. I, I hope they don't bring him up just to make a spot start. I hope when they do call up Kate Cavalli, it's because he's earned it. He's ready for it. Um, and he makes a handful of starts while he's up here. Maybe that's not till the second half of the season. And in, in a Josiah Gray type of way, he finishes the season with the big league club. Um, I hope they don't bring him up too early, but it could be. You know, if we saw how fast he flew up the farm system last year, if he starts off at AAA again this year and pitches really, really well and earns that spot, I just hope that he comes up at the right time, um, pitches well, and, and doesn't get discouraged. If it doesn't go well up here, that's fine. It's for development anyways. We saw him struggle at AAA at the end of last year, and he was like, it was a good learning curve for me, and it gave me, it gave me a lot to think about this offseason and what to work on. So kind of similar this year. Take that, you know, you're going to it's going to be ups and downs, hopefully more ups, but when you struggle, hopefully he doesn't get too down on himself and continues to with the process and, and continue to develop because he is a major part of this rebuild and uh, can be a big part of this rotation moving forward. Yeah, I'm with you there. His continuing to see his development in 2022 is going to be huge. I think the hope is that we do see him uh, make his major league debut in 2022, certainly at the rate that he climbed to AAA. That's definitely likely. Uh, I do. I am with you, and I hope that they don't rush it. I think it's probably unlikely they would bring up you know, their top prospect for a spot start. They might be a little bit more careful with him, but you never know. And I think something like that might be uh, a bad for his development and bad for his growth. Um, but hopefully he finds some more success at AAA to start the season. 
gets a lot of good starts in there. And then eventually we see him make his debut. Of course, he didn't really find that success in AAA at uh, this past season. He did much better at AA. Uh, so just not rushing his development, not rushing him along, uh, letting him grow. And when he's ready, uh, they'll move him up. But it could be sooner rather than later, especially given how fast he's climbed and the situation uh, uh, with their starting rotation as is right now. And kind of to play off of that, um, also, the development of Jackson Rutledge, he needs to bounce back uh, from the injuries that he's faced, not only just in 2021, but really throughout his entire career uh, that predates before the Nationals, uh, through high school, through college, he's had a lot of injuries. Uh, so bouncing back from that and finally seeing uh, what you know could be there from Jackson, Jackson Rutledge uh, and, you know, kind of living up to what one of their top prospects uh, should be. Yeah, that was actually my next wish is a healthy a healthy season for Jackson Rutledge. Let's start with that. I mean, can't judge him what he's doing on the mound if he's not on the mound, right? So hopefully he had a very injury-plague season this year. Uh, he pitched in the Arizona Fall League. We talked about that before on the podcast. Uh, finished strong, which is a good sign. I think he pitched, what was it, like three innings in that uh, championship game out in Arizona. Um, and I think they were all scoreless. If not, he'll give it one run. Uh, so he, he finished the year strong. Can he carry that over into next season and and be, um, you know, the number three overall prospect? You know, he, he has a lot of expectations on his shoulders, uh, and the Nationals are looking to see what they can get out of him, and they won't know what that is until he pitches. Um, maybe he can fly up the system in a full healthy season like Kate Cavalli just did. He hasn't had a full healthy season yet while he's been with the Nationals, and, you know, you don't want him to be another former first-round pick that's a pitcher that kind of phases out, and, and you know, it just becomes another name um, in the farm system, and you never see him actually pitch at the major league level uh, or pitch well at the major league level. So it's going to be an important year for Jackson Rutledge for sure. It's going to be his, what, third full season, not counting 2020 in the system. So uh, he'll probably start out uh, at high single A. He hasn't pitched above high single A in his career. Can he fly up the system? Can he get to double A, possibly triple A by the end of the year? Maybe we'll see him in the similar rotation as Kate Cavalli. They pitched together for a little bit this season before Jackson went down. Um, and so it, it'll be interesting to see how he kind of handles uh, uh, an injury plague season or coming off an injury plague season, I should say, while he finished strong in Arizona. And the Nationals need him to finish strong and start strong uh, next year. Um, all right. Uh, well, you took my you kind of rolled my last two into one. So, uh, Amy, do you have any more uh, wishes for 2022? Um, my last one, I think. My last biggest one is just the keep the development of the young guys, especially in Caber Ruiz. It's the first time we've seen the Nationals have young catchers in Caber Ruiz and Riley Adams. They're not known for developing their own catchers or having young ones at that. It's been a long time since they've had a young catcher. Uh, so to see these two continue to develop, maybe have breakout years at the plate, uh, is going to be really big. It is going to be kind of an area that the Nationals might not have to address in two years once they're competitive again. So if they can have create a solid you know, foundation back there behind the plate, I think that's going to be really important, um, and, and it starts with this season. Yeah, and yeah, I kind of add on to that. You you already mentioned Kay Rare and, and Josiah Gray, uh, but like to add on that, healthy, full seasons, you know, 
a successful sophomore campaign for each of these guys is is pretty vital for the development of those guys. You know, those they're they're going to be the ones that have the spotlights on them throughout the course of the season. Uh, as you know, the two main centerpieces of the Max Scherzer and Trey Turner deals, and, and entering the the system as number one and number two overall uh, prospects for the for the farm. So, you know, stay healthy is obviously number one, but just being successful. And like we said last year during you know Josiah Gray's struggles, he was really strong for those what first five starts with the Nationals, and then kind of struggled for those next five, and then I think finished strong over his next three or so. Um, you know. Like I said, it's going to be ups and downs. Can you take the downs while also enjoying the ups? Uh, we'll see if Josiah Gray can deal with that. And for Kaber, I mean, it took for him a while. It took him a while to get that swing going um, mm-hmm. with the Nationals, and he kind of found it late in September. Can he continue to show that? Um, hit the ball to all fields. Talk to Juan Soto. Learn about Juan Soto and how he approaches the game. I think that's going to be big for Kaber Ruiz next year. Uh, and so they both need to have successful sophomore campaigns. And the Curly W had um, for that trade last year to really come to fruition and be like, okay, we have a future with these two guys. These guys can lead us into our next successful competitive teams. Right, exactly. I mean, this our off our off season wish list is a little bit different this year because it is so minorly focused right. and rebuilding focused uh, and developing focused. You know, we're not hoping they trade for the best player at the deadline. Uh, you know, they don't have the number one pick. They're not going to probably sign Juan Soto to a big deal this year. Uh, so all those things are kind of off the table. But these things are realistic and really could lead to a good good foundation for sustained winning. Uh, obviously, we want the Nationals to compete soon within the next few years, but it's also important that they can sustain that. Um, and they're not, they don't win the World, well, it'd be nice if they won another World Series, but, you know, they don't win, and then the next season they're down again and have a depleted farm system again. Right, yeah, that's what we said at the top of the conversation, that, you know, this direction is for this team is different, and we haven't been on this path in a very long time uh, for this franchise and uh, goals and, and expectations are different for this season. So, um, you know, there's a lot to come with the fan base. So, you know, you got to kind of pump your brakes when you get excited about this team and, or get down on this team when they're not winning a lot of games. You have to understand that this is this is this whole part of the process to put together another World Series caliber team over the next couple of seasons. Um, you mentioned Juan Soto. That was my last wish for the year. I'm going to beat this drum until it gets done, until I see it in, um, in a physical form somehow. But continue to make Juan Soto happy now. I mean, you know you're going to be in a bidding war for him in a couple of years. You know that he's going to enter free agency. Make sure that he feels at home here. Make sure that he sees the plan. Make sure that he knows what's going on. Um, and also continues to be successful, successful on the on the baseball uh, field, but he has to be able to feel comfortable here and, and feel welcomed here and feel like this is a place that he can finish out his career. Otherwise, you're going to have no shot at him come free agency. He's going to bolt at the first chance he gets. Yeah, and uh, that could come in the form of at least just making some moves, at least showing him right. that you're committed to improving, even if it's just minor league deals and things like that. But if you just sit pat with your hands tied – that's probably not going to cut it. I mean, you can't go out there and play for everybody and win, but you can make those moves that at least he feels like you're doing something to get to that next step. Yeah, it'll be interesting once the new CBA is signed and, and, and in place. That Because I, I, I imagine it's going to be another just crazy wave of free agent signings like we saw right before the old CBA expired, right? So. Yeah. 
then I mean, we're not saying go out and sign Kyle Schwarber again or whatever the next best you know free agent on the market is once it opens up again, but go out and add substantial pieces and show that you look, we are trying to win on a daily basis, but for the long term, we're trying to more so build for the future so that we are consistently competitive year in and year out. This is not going to be one of those years and that's okay, but we're still going to try to put together a, a team that can win on the field every single day. And we're going to try to win every day while also keeping a bigger eye on, on the main goals down the line. So I think that's a major part and, and striking that balance can sometimes be difficult. But I think Mike Rizzo, Davey Martinez have a good head on the shoulder. I'm sure they have a good idea of what, how they're going to go about that from the day-to-day basis on Davey's side to the long-term uh, future uh, on Mike Rizzo's side. So as long as one, I would just, like, if I'm on, I would like to be a part of that conversation. You know, you talk about, look at the NFL and, you know, when franchises make franchise changing moves, they, you know, who do you consult? You let the quarterback know he's your franchise player. You got to let them know. Look what, how it's kind of crumbling in green Bay with Aaron Rodgers. You don't want that to be the situation with Juan Soto down the future. I would, if I were him, I would just want to be involved and know what's going on. And, yeah. and then I'll go out and do my business. Once the game start. It's also probably tough to do that given that, I mean, he could reach free agency and never look back and right. never be here again. So to consult him on everything when he's, you know, not really the guy of your future locked in, I guess it's a little bit difficult. You might be more likely to do that with a guy like Steven Strasburg, who has signed that seven-year deal or so on and so forth. So it's probably difficult to kind of strike a balance. You want to please him. You want to show him that you want him uh, in the long term, but also – you can't base your whole team around this one guy who couldn't reach free agency and leave you in the dust. And that's that. Yep. Yeah. That's a, that's a good point too. I mean, there are some like holding the cards close to the vest type mm-hmm. of thing going around too, because it is a competitive environment. Um, but yeah, that's, that's fair. I, I, again, there is a balance to be struck somewhere around there because um, yep. you know, you got to keep them happy, but you also don't want to give them the entire blueprint to what they're trying to do. Cause then every team will know if he decides to leave. Um, all right. I think that's a pretty solid wish list uh, for 2022. Did you have any other minor league ones or uh, minor ones that you wanted to add? I think um, I kind of touched on that, all mine. Yep. I think that was all it. I mean, on my list last year was that I hope Carter Keyboom and Victor Robles break out. It's on there again this year. Um, uh, just little stuff like that. So I'll, do you want to call Santa or I'll call Santa and uh, call yeah, how about you? This- you call Santa um, and uh, maybe just or email him and just CC me just so we know. Oh, I got you. Um, okay. Yeah. Right. So we have it in writing. We want to make sure we have it okay. in writing because if you leave a yeah. message, he could delete it. And the whole thing could be a, it could be a whole right. thing. We but don't yeah. we need receipts, Santa. Right. <laughs> uh, the, maybe the one thing I'll add, and this is probably more of a fan wish than maybe for you and I, but Ryan Zimmerman return, possibly. Would that be mm-hmm. awkward? I mean, we, we, we've talked about it a little bit before. <laughs> we could talk about it maybe more in another episode, but I know fans want to see him back in a Nationals uniform. We've heard him say that he wants to come back. That's a possible wish. Uh, but, you know, again, you we, we've, you and I have said that there is a place for him on this roster, but I just think it's going to be awkward if he comes back after we gave him such a great ovation on that last day of the season. I know. We could do a probably a whole episode about this because it is just – it's a little bit of a dilemma. I yeah. mean, he had that a true little farewell, goodbye moment. Um the good thing is now with with the with the lockout and everything being postponed, maybe fans will kind of forget about it a little bit, and it'll be a little bit less awkward um, if he comes back. 
I think that's a good wish. I think there's definitely a place for him. I think he could definitely be helpful. Um, and at the end of the day, he is a veteran that knows this organization like no other. Right. Uh, so I think that's a good wish. I think that would be on mine. I still think it could be a little bit awkward. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll see. I, 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 like I said, I know fans want to see him back again and, um, you know, they, he he can't be signed by the Nationals or any team until the new CBA is announced. So maybe that'll be the first. That'll be kind of a cool way to enter the new CBA, right? As soon as oh, it's signed, yeah. announce Ryan Zimmerman's back. If you have, they have a deal in place, I know they're technically not a lot of talk, but I mean, come on. Right, I like that. I kind of like that. That'd be kind of fun. Um, all right, well, that's going to do it for this week's episode of the Mass and All Access Podcast. Thanks again, again, once again, for all your patience with us over this month. It's been a hectic month. And again, all your kind words of love and support on any platform um, for both of us during this time. Um, we hope you all have a very happy, safe, and healthy holiday, Christmas, New Year, whatever you're celebrating this year. Hopefully you're doing it safely and have a good time. Um, you know, with everything going on in the world right now, we hope that we just see you in the new year, uh, healthy, smiling, and ready to talk more baseball. So we thank you all so, so much. And, um, um, and we thank you all for tuning in live on Facebook and on YouTube. And of course, subscribing to the Mass and All Access podcast. That's what I'm thankful for this year. Everyone who subscribes um, and leaves <laughs> comments along the way. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, wherever you get podcasts, you can get the Mass and All Access podcast. We will see you after the new year. Be sure to give Amy a follow at Amy Jennings News on Twitter. Amy, good to see you. Good to talk to you. Hopefully next time we'll be in person. Enjoy the new year, and we'll talk, we'll talk to you later. All right. Happy holidays. All right. Well, that's it for this week's episode. Again, we really appreciate everyone tuning in and making us a part of your day. Have a very happy and safe Christmas, New Year, and we will see you in 2022.